Thank you for stumbling onto the Wheelhouse podcast. Another milestone is upon us. We're up to episode five. We're at the point now where every week we're creating history. Uh, my <laughs> name's Joel Spreadborough, and I I feel like there's an, an, an apparition in front of me because Kate Bates returns to the studio. Where have you been? I'm back. I've been at the Com Games. I've noticed that you've got... A bit of a shrine here, Joel. Yes. And it's not creepy at all. No. <laughs> no, for those listening on, it's a it's a cutout of Kate, but I want you to point out that it's strapped to a bottle of tequila. <laughs> I don't know who made that decision, but I like it. Uh, and, I, and I also felt like, based on some social media comments, Joel, that I had to return the love. And sure. so I've got this beauty. Um, it's not Photoshopped at all. It's simply a nude photo of you on a statue of David. No, no, that's me. That's, that's I, I've been doing quite a bit of writing lately, yeah. uh, and I wonder—I wonder why they were watching me is in the shower that you night. Thank you, yeah. It is, yeah, just just cooling down. Um, but geez, so we there do you go. The I've things missed you too, do. Joel. It is great to be back, and uh, I brought some excess baggage with me. Um, said with all due respect to you, uh, Scott McGrory wow. in the house, an Falling Olympic me. gold medalist. Calling me a handbag, the, there, <laughs> the handbag. If it fits. Did you bring your medal with you? Uh, I didn't. I didn't. So actually, I'm not sure where it is. I need to find out where it is. It's in storage somewhere. I you didn't use it to pay for the cab to get here, did you? No, no. Oh, if I was to do that, I'd use the bronze medal because that never gets spoken or, or used in any way. No one cares about my Olympic bronze medal. It's uh, it's amazing it's to have Scott McGrory on the panel, our first guest. And Kate, just quickly, you're not. You're definitely not an AI bot. You're, that's I'm you, not. right? I'm real. Okay. Yes. I feel like I need to do one of those "I'm not a robot" tests that you have to do on how many tractors are in the picture. No, it is. It is very good to be back. I have to say, I'm very happily settled back into the chair. And amazing, yeah. Um, Scott McGrory, I, I I have been googling you as as we do at the wheelhouse. Wikipedia is our go to source for information. <laughs> you pioneered some incredible looks in your career, alongside your extraordinary achievements. A, a very fashionable rider back in the day. Let's take a quick look at some retro McGrory fashion. Now, this one is outstanding. Talk us through mm. it. Oh, well, okay. I'm, I'm very proud of that one because that's for the MAPE team, which was the Yumbo Visma of, of the day, the biggest okay. team in the world. Had double the budget of any other team. But um, yeah, their, their kit is quite iconic. And at the time, it was obviously very colourful, but it's become a real cool retro kit to have these days. If anyone wants to pull out you know, a team from back in the day and go for a retro ride, it, often it's the MAPE stuff. I a lot of that. the teams... Like you hear Mappe and we know it from cycling, but you have you have to Google them to figure out what kind of company they are. They're yep. not, it, you know, it's not like Mappe Automotives where you're like, oh, it's an automotive it, company. It's just glue. It's <laughs> tiling glue. It's tiling glue. And yeah. so the fact that one of those photos is like superimposed yeah. over a bucket of tiling glue, yeah. I think that I, that's I have a glorious. slogan, at Mappe, we stick together. Oh. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's why they pay you the big bucks. What they did Just with, a thought. You saw that postcard there, right? So each rider was superimposed over a, you know, historic or significant venue where MAPE products were used. Oh. Um, so Adriano Baffi, the Italian track specialist who won stage at the Tour de France as well, he had the Olympic velodrome in the background because they used MAPE products there. Um, I think one of the other guys had a swimming pool, some significant swimming pool. So whatever whatever, you know, crazy, awesome, significant building that used their products, the writers were superimposed over. The Opera oh, House yeah. for you, Scott? Well, they didn't do that. I'm not sure they may not have used MAPE no, products. <laughs> probably not. Yeah. Well, the the, cost, the the outfits were great. They're kind of like a mixed lolly kind of look. I liked it a lot. As yeah. you know, I went for a 90K on the weekend, just sliding that in there. I wore my Broncos jersey, so I was also quite colourful. Uh, got a lot of 
weird looks like what what are you doing in a Broncos jersey? Oh look, jersey, we can get you a Mafe jersey, but that's good what on I'm hinting for, at for the Broncos jersey. I like that. Ninety K, that's ninety K is like well I had to be carried in here today, but uh, that's <laughs> that's okay. I'm working hard on it. But let's let's get into it, guys, because it's so good to have a, a third wheel, I guess a, the third wheel wheelhouse this week, episode five. We're going to start with a very serious business and some hard hitting news and current affairs. Kate Bates transfer season is whew, in full swing. It is. I love transfer season. I mean, I actually love pre-transfer season where all the gossip starts coming out and people start, you know, guessing where people might go. And there's still a bit of that going on. Mark Cavendish, we, I mean, is he coming to the wheelhouse, Joel? I don't know. Nobody knows where he's coming. But I think the biggest kind of point of contention around any of it is the fact that Yumbo Visma is mm. essentially turning into what Ineos Grenadiers used to be. Um, I, as you put it, Joel, almost like the Ineos, uh, the Yumbo Grenadiers. The Yumbo Gren- Well, look, they were yes. always moulded in that shape, but now it's come to the point where they're actually luring riders away. So that's quite a significant step in Indeed. that, in that, I guess, blueprint. Well, and Dylan Van Bala is the biggest name uh, for me. He was the winner of Paris-Roubaix and he's going across. I mean, that gives them like an epic, epic classics team. Scott, we suffered through so many years of what people kind of uh, called a boring era of the Tour de France where Ineos just dominated everything. This year it was so exciting with Yumbo, but are we now just getting like a, a precursor to another kind of boring, let's not use it. No, let's use the word boring. You boring. Hey, you use whatever word you want on your yeah, podcast. Thank you. Yes, yeah. it's my damn podcast. Yeah. No, um, <laughs> a boring era where Yumbo are just going to dominate and you'll be now then rooting for one of the other teams to usurp them. Well, and it's exactly what they want because they have the money to buy the riders, as did Ineos previously, to turn the odds in their favour. So from their perspective, there's no salary cap. They can do whatever they want and they are doing exactly what they feel as a business will get the job done for them. Now, they're not thinking about the fans. They're not thinking about how the race is going to come out. They don't want it to be random. Uh, And we saw Dave Brailsford say this from Ineos a couple of years ago that, that they wanted to get back to just general racing. Now, that worked for a couple of races until they realized it's better strategically to dominate the race and have the best riders. So we can't blame Yumbo. We can talk to the UCI perhaps about salary caps. That comes up every time these sorts of discussions happen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what can they do? How can they change this? And Rowan Dennis is perhaps the first to make that jump he, when he did that uh, before the start of last season where he went across from Ineos and then bagged out Ineos on his departure as well. Let's just put it there, uh, which was poor form from, from our Aussie. But, yeah, look, they've got the money. They've got the money and they want to dominate and that's what they're going to try and do. And, yeah. yes, you're probably completely right that it might sanitise the race. Sanitise? Yeah. See, yeah. now there's a probably a it's better It's the, the Mercedes Formula One. <laughs> it's the, you know, the team that just has limitless uh, resources. But I just want to say a quick shout-out at Adios uh, from Richie Carapaz after three, four three, years. Three seasons. Three seasons. Yeah. That's, uh, but, yeah. you know, he when he moved over from Movistar, after winning the Giro, and Scott, I understand he was on minimum wage at Movistar. Close, close to minimum. Yeah. So we can't really blame him um, after that big victory for wanting a new opportunity. But it didn't go that well, the transfer. He didn't let everybody know in the best of ways. And so transfer season can also be a bit of a grab your popcorn and watch how it unfolds. Yeah, kind of it's scenario uh, in that. But the other one that's really stuck out to me is bike exchange. Because Caden Groves is heading over to Alperson and he'll join Jensen Plowright over there, Scott. But 
I don't know, is bike exchange, where are all the Aussies going? Away, yeah. it seems. Yeah, it, unfortunately, this has been a, a, a pattern for quite a while now. So it did start as a proper Aussie team full of Australian riders, but just a couple of foreigners. But over the years, they've realised they had to bring in foreigners to go for the big race results that they wanted. And they've lost their identity as an, as an Aussie team. There still is somewhat of a culture, an Aussie kind of feel to it. But not all your staff are Aussies. It still is registered as an Australian team. And, of course, you know, the founder and the benefactor, uh, Jerry Ryan, has done an incredible job funding that team and Australian cycling for so long. Mm. But it's not – it's just not seen as the Aussie team that it used to be. It's simply registered in Australia. But it's the internationals that are doing the big wins. And some of the best Australian riders have left. And if you look at the Vuelta coming up, we'll talk about that soon. But with the Vuelta coming up, we have the three Australian contenders for that race don't ride for Bike Exchange. Mm. Are you saying, controversial, that the Australian team is un-Australian? <laughs> there was a <laughs> I, I noticed Scott and I kind of paused there. like no. Well, we don't want to be negative. Yeah. We don't want to, and I sort of say, look, particularly Jerry Ryan, he's a friend of mine and he's been amazing for Australian cycling. But the, the, the original concept is not what the team is now. Yeah. So absolutely, yeah. It's, not as, it's not as Australian as it used to be. And there are Australians there, but it's not an Aussie team like it was, no. No, okay. I think that's fair to say. So maybe not un-Australian, but also maybe it's not big, really it's Australian term, either. It? Yeah. it is oh, a big term. Also, down the smackdowns. You, you mentioned him earlier. I, I want to just circle back quickly to the CAV. Uh, more, so many links uh, in that chain. Um, a, coming to the wheelhouse, that's, more, that's his number one priority, but... Yeah, Where's he going to end up? Yeah. <laughs> well, rumour has it that he's linked to EF Education first, uh, also to B&B Hotels, which I find really interesting because it's fair to say he's, I don't know, can we say he's past his best? I think so. <gasps> oh, he has to be. He, he has, has to be. be. He's I saying mean, he's un-Australian. He's at the be- <laughs> definitely. The Manxman is definitely <laughs> un-Australian. His best was the best ever. Mm. Yes. Out there, oh, the well, best sprinter of all but time. But he's at the back end, hmm. the the twilight of his career. Yeah. And it's becoming a trend where these big money riders, and I'm looking straight at Peter Sagan here, go to these smaller teams, much smaller teams for their last years, like their last contracts. But it usually doesn't come with results. So Peter Sagan, I think he's won one race mm. uh, since he's been at Total Energy. I mean, it does amazing things for their PR though and their brand. So is that what we're thinking with Cavendish? Scott? I think with Cav, he, he has a, a young family, He's coming to the end of his career and he's thinking of the future, meaning cheap accommodation. So go to a, a sponsor like B&B Hotels <laughs> oh, and you yes. can get cheap holidays all through <laughs> yep. France for the next 10, 15 years. So I think it's just a, a family package. Strategic. Yeah. 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 Smart. Yeah, on, on the track though, <laughs> as you say, but that whole past is best thing. How much is he going to miss that train? Uh, I think a lead out train is pretty important. I mm. mean, but... I also, we've seen it massively dysfunctional this year where it really hasn't worked for him. So I don't think that will ultimately be what holds him back. I think it's probably more um, his age and whether he's got the determination or not. But speaking of lead out trains, really exciting on the women's side, um, guys, because Maeve Plouffe, we've just heard, has signed for DSM. Another friend of the wheelhouse. Another friend, maybe. Oh, we love Plouffe. Maeve Plouffe, so many nicknames. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Lorena Vibes, who of course won the first stage of Tour de France Femme, yep. she has left DSM for Yumbo Visma. So another um, big addition to the Yumbo Visma family in now the women's team. Uh, but Plouffe will go there to join that sprint train. 
Now, Charlotte Cool, who was Vibe's lead out girl and considered the best uh, in field at doing so, she and Mavel now partner up. So I'm pretty excited about that. Much excitement, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, Scott Brody Chapman is leaving FDJ. Where or where could she be going? Well, yeah, that's the, that's no one can find out. You've been trying to find that out I as have. well. You can, maybe she's going to go to DSM as well to join the the Ploofmeister. Well, <laughs> I could see her fitting in beautifully at Yumbo Visma, but again, that would be like men's and women's just amassing yep. the masses. Yep, sport for riches. Hey, yeah. with DSM, we know we saw so many good riders leave the men's team. Okay, and now we've got Vibas leaving as well. I imagine that's just purely money that the Yumbo Visma has got so much to throw at her to get her. But is the women's team, does it have the same turmoil that the men's team seems to have had the last couple of seasons? No, the women's team, they are joined, but there's a bit of, I, I suppose, enough of a new program and a new culture on the women's side that it is considered to be a pretty mm. strong team. Yeah. To join. DS, DSM management for the men seems to be super strict and so many riders just don't want to be there anymore. No, and it yeah. works for some, mm. but it very clearly doesn't work for others. Yeah, yeah. Well, Aussie Chris Hamilton, he just extended his contract with them. He loves them, thinks it's fantastic. And then guys like Jai Hindley, and they couldn't get out of there quick enough. Yes. But, I mean, imagining um, Brody Chapman going to Yumbo Visma, mm. it's pretty exciting. Yeah. A, a succession plan for Mariana Voss. Also oh, having okay. there. What a handy segue so. that is. This is this is the Wheelhouse podcast, uh, easily digestible, mostly factual, current affairs edition. Let's continue with the hard hitting. There's a controversy. I know you think it's a cliche nickname, but I, I just want it to be known as Puppy Poor Gate, involving <laughs> Mariana Voss and a very controversial disqualification after the fact. Now, I'm going to have a go at Post Nord Vargada West Sweden Road Race. How did I go? You did well. Thank you. I mean, I'm not sure if our Swedish friends would agree with either of us. On All how three to of them that are listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it it the... does need to be shortened, though. Yes. That's a name too long that it needs to it be. It is. But think of the commentators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, look, the commissaires made a very late decision. We have some pictures of this. Uh, a few seconds of puppy pouring uh, from Mariana Voss. Now, Kate, you can explain. The go of what, what, what's the go with puppy paws? Yeah. So puppy paws is essentially where you take your hands off the traditional placement on the bars and you then put your forearms resting on the handlebars. And that's what you mm. can see uh, in vision. And you can check that out on our social media if you're listening along. And now that is not allowed. So the rule says that you can only have three points of contact on your bike. Your hands have to be somewhere on the handlebars. Your feet have to be on the pedals. And your bottom has to be on the seat. If it's off the seat, it can't be anywhere else. And the relevance of that is the Superman tuck position and, and such where people were sitting on their top tubes. Okay. Uh, the reason people get in this puppy paw position is for aerodynamics, pretty simply, and comfort. Like, Scott, I'm definitely guilty of cruising around and, and ducking down onto my forearms because it actually gives your back a bit of a rest and mm. your shoulders and your core. It isn't allowed. I think this was a crap decision, though. She didn't find out until afterwards, mm. which was 13 kilometres later, after she'd won the race and changed the outcome of the race because she dragged them essentially to the finish line. We don't always agree on commissaires decisions. <laughs> well, what do you think about this? Um, and yeah, look, it's unfortunate. She was such, she, she's such a good writer. She's incredibly skillful as well, uh, which is one of the issues that the UCI have with this. The professionals doing it, that's one thing, but the kids then see it and they want to do it. 
Now, I have personal experience in this. So I was in a training bunch, a very good experienced group of riders in Bendigo. And one of the guys rolled across in front of us. We were doing 60 Ks an hour or so, swapping off. And as soon as he went across to the front to come back down the train, he then put his hands in the puppy paws, which I've only just, well, I'm learning this term now because <laughs> I didn't understand it was puppy paws. But anyway, he, he went into puppy paws, hit a bump, hands went off the bars and fell into the rest of us. And fortunately, my instinct, I grabbed him under the armpit and put him back on his bike. Oh, so wow. He was able to gain control and not crash. But that was only because he did exactly what she did for only a couple of seconds, hit a bump, and it was going to cause eight, ten riders to go down heavily. That's a bit so of a superhero why. moment. Heroism. It was a bit. Slash <laughs> yeah. self-preservation. But was, I, I think yeah. it's a brilliant moment. But everyone but, behind thought, wow, you just saved us all. I'm like, I was just trying to save myself. I didn't yeah. care about you, Bob. I didn't want to crash. Look, in her defense, she remonstrated with officials later. Uh, she said after the race, I feel bad about it because I didn't benefit from it, but rules are rules, as Scott has pointed out. But mm. I just want to say... Having ridden for 89 of my 90 Ks on the weekend in the puppy paws position, <laughs> she had just finished the decisive attack in the race. Uh, she was pulling away from the pelt. Didn't she deserve a little breather, Kate Bates? I think it was a bit of a brain fart on her part. As soon as she went down, she realised it was wrong and she jumped straight back up. You know, it was yep. honestly a couple of seconds. Yeah. I think... Maybe a warning. Maybe a, a warning. More, well... And I suppose the rules like don't car. allow for that. Yeah, I, that would be yeah, a So if you don't do it again at another race, bam, then exactly. you're Exactly. Disqualified. Yeah. Okay, but so like a yeah, Immediate yeah. disqualification is yeah. harsh. But I think what all the noise comes from is people can accept rules are rules. Even if you don't like the rule, we can understand to a degree that a rule is a rule. Yeah. But the UCI is so inconsistent in its own application of rules that that's where people start seeing this massive hypocrisy. And the biggest example lately, Scott, was the speed hump coming mm. into the finish in Burgos. 300 metres before the finish, downhill, travelling 70 kilometres an hour, there's a speed hump, which is completely against what I might say is UCI regulation on course design. Yeah. yeah. So again, jump over to our Insta to check this out because it's insane. Oof. It essentially knocked out or at least hindered 95% of the bunch coming into the finish. So Yumbo Visma ended up going one, two, three, simply because the fall happened with one of their riders at fourth wheel. So dangerous. So the UCI allows this to happen and they don't even... Make a comment about it. Yeah. Nothing with the organisers. It, it's just silence. The only noise is people complaining, fans saying this is ridiculous. And so when you look at something like this and then you compare it to puppy paws being disqualified because that's a safety issue, it is just insane. And 70K now going down a hill, Scott, they hit that speed hump. Oof. They have no chance flying into the barriers. Yeah. It's yeah, so I think I reckon that's the biggest. We'll issue. chat a bit more about course design in general a little bit later, but this one is the extraordinary pictures. We're looking at some aerial pictures, speed bump, massive speed wobbles. One goes down, the rest follow. Absolute carnage on the track there, Kate. It's um, makes you. Whew. Well, when you do get to look at that footage, just check out the fourth rider from Yumbo Visma because he still finished third on the stage and should not have been able to continue. He was so fortunate that he didn't go down because it was third wheel that crashed, fourth wheel somehow fended Ooh. it off and kept going. Um, and that is horrific. And, I, and uh, yeah, I've, I've been involved with course design for Herald Sun Tour for road national championships, et cetera. And, and you're right, Kate, the inconsistencies. Now, I, I can 
kind of see where the so the UCI, we blame the UCI, but I imagine the UCI themselves would not have seen that finish until the footage itself because mm. they don't have someone that's going around on behalf of the UCI inspecting every single international bike race finish. You expect the the race organisation to take the right of safety into account. And I know that that's something we really do delve deeply into when we're doing our course designs in Australia, and we would not allow that speed bump. You know, we would finish the, come in another road, finish at the top of the hill, just to avoid that situation. Mm. And, and crashing through the barriers like they were made of matchsticks as well. It's, it's <laughs> very, very hard for. Let's stay, let's stay with the flying Dutch woman if we can, because Scandinavia, she, she put, put the drama of Puppy Poor Gate behind her pretty quickly with back-to-back stage wins to kick off the tour of Scandinavia, Kate. What did you make of the, uh, the that that sprint finish stage one? She, well, she's clearly on form, you know, and I think that this is vintage Voss. She is just so comfortably winning these bunch sprints, and I think historically, whenever Voss has been at her best, it doesn't really matter what conditions the sprint finishes under; she will find a way to win, and that's what we're seeing again, which is pretty exciting. We did have uh, Amelia Farlan finished second behind her uh, on one of the stages. And she's a local Swedish girl, huge crowd for her. And she celebrated as though she actually won, Um, which I thought was really cool. You know, I think that you can talk about the domination of Voss all day long, but you also have to look at uh, what's going on behind her because there's always some fantastic stories. Throngs of supporters along the Swedish West Coast there in stage two, but very importantly for Voss, I just want to point out that she learned her lesson from Puppy Poor Gate because uh, she applied some tape to her handlebars. We've got uh, some pictures here of the message that that uh, Mariana Voss applied to handlebars. Now, it says, you're going to tear me apart here, <laughs> neat, neat, ligen. Is that okay? Close enough, okay. yeah. Um, and it, it's Dutch and it means, you know, don't lie here, essentially. Yeah, you know, when I first saw her, yeah. I was like, never lie. I was like, is she... Like telling yourself, be honest, stop lying in my <laughs> interviews. Like, oh, no, she means don't lie down on the handlebars. Yes. Honesty is the best policy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? I don't think she put that there herself. I reckon that's somebody in the uh, team being a little bit cheeky. bit cheeky. Scott, yeah. were you prone to messages on the handlebars in your days? No, never. No? Okay. Really? No. I, I, not on the bars, but on my stem, I would very often write things, whether it be where the feed zone is, where the oh, climbs that, that are, that do, kind yeah. of yeah. stuff. Uh, but maybe not things like that. That's funny though, <laughs> in good humour, right? I think so. I think, I think so. And look, humor. she was quite refreshing about it, quite candid and quite like, you know what I did? It's rules are rules, I made a mistake. She's not going to do a, oh, I hate to say, I was about to say do a cav and have a have a bit of a tanty, but she's not going to go, so I'm not writing to her. Who did that? I quit. It's not that. It's just, we just, love just get cav, on with it. but we, he is known for, you know. Being a bit of a volatile manxman. I wonder if he has a limit, like a tanty limit in his new contract. <laughs> anyway, well, look, moving on, the Wheelhouse I've Podcast. i a cab story. I've got a cab, oh, quick, go, quick cab story for you. We're talking, um, talking about transfers and things like that. Now, uh, the London Six Day a couple of years ago, I went over to commentate that, and a couple of my colleagues were talking about Cab's watch, and they were just talking up this watch that he keeps racing with and wearing, and it's um, – uh, I remember the brand in a moment. It's a Formula One-sponsored brand, and they said it's worth $500,000. And he's racing with it. So seriously? Wow. So, and, you know, knowing Mark, I went over and said, g'day. And said, tell me about this watch. Everyone's talking about this watch. And he just took it off and handed it to me. So I put it on. 
and I had this five hundred thousand dollar watch. Oh wow, well, yeah. And then good. you ran as fast <laughs> yeah, as you I should, could. Should I? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, look at that, pretty cool, awesome, amazing watch. Gave it back to him. He then raced the rest of that week, and then the following week he went to the Ghent Six Day, and had a really nasty crash on the left-hand side, which is where he wears his watch. And the first thing I, I thought of was while he was spinning down the, the track was that watch he's probably sliding on now is worth $500,000. Was it okay? It was okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, so. I think he when he crashes now, he lifts his hand up yeah, to yeah. get off the track. He has his stack and everyone's like running to help him going, quick, quick, is the watch okay? Yeah. Oh, sorry, Cav, you all right too? But yeah. the watch. Um, moving on. So let's get a bit closer to home on the Wheelhouse podcast. I, a, a gigantic controversy. A, a gigantic controversy. Does yeah, that, does I love that okay? the puns. Yeah. yeah, we are talking about Sarah Gigante, right? Yeah. yeah. Because well, otherwise, I, I don't know what you're talking a gi- about. A gigante controversy yes. for Sarah Gigante. Ten, yes. a ten seconds, costly ten seconds, Kate. Yes. Now she is not necessarily known for her bunch skills. She likes to hang out toward the back. That's something she needs to work on. It's a dangerous place to be in the bunch, not just for falls, but also to lose time and miss breaks. But alas, a flat day. She was hanging out at the back. And when they allocated time across the finish line and bunch time, mm. they deemed that she was not connected to the bunch anymore. And as a result, in the results, it said she was 10 seconds adrift of the bunch. So not a time penalty at all, just that she was 10 seconds back. But actually, she crossed the line with a whole swathe of riders that were given bunch time. And nobody's really sure how they came to that very arbitrary decision of deciding that the bunch ended with the rider next to her, not in front of her. Uh, But they can do that and it can look on pictures sometimes like the bunch is connected but they say, no, that is the end. And then they take the time actually from the first rider to cross the line. But they haven't done that with Gigante. So I remain no idea Mm. how that happened. No idea. Yeah, really strange situation. And, And they have increased the distance... Um, because you know, these things happen. You've got a bunch that's strung right out and for the riders that are up on, especially on the final stage, this does happen. I've, I've had teammates that have lost overall classification results because they were too far back in the peloton. When you get into the middle of the field, there are riders that aren't as desperate to make sure they are on time because they know they're, they're sprinters or they're going to lose time in the mountains, whatever it may be. So they'll just ease up. And if you're behind them and there's a gap, too bad. Then you lose, you lose time to the first rider across the line, which is... Well, the sounds of it, that's what's happened, but it's how they do, how do they determine that, which sounds quite, quite interesting and intriguing. Mm. And for Sarah, maybe this is a good lesson for her to make sure she fights on. And this is why you do see so many of the big contenders for overall classification still in the top 10 or in the top 20 on some of these intermediate or type of sprint stages to make sure they're not going to be caught behind a split mm. in the bunch. That's the only reason they keep doing it, keep pushing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The gigante lesson. effort for her to, to put this one behind her. <laughs> yes. Well, look, it's on. a sprinter's tour, so I think yep. it's okay. Um, but it is a gigante lesson. Thank you. <laughs> gigante lesson learned. This is yes. the Wheelhouse podcast. Olympic bronze and gold medalist Scott McGrory is here. Uh, medals, More medals and hot dinners, Kate Bates, and weekend cyclist in a Broncos jersey. My name's Joel Sprebro. Let's stay with women's cycling. Let's let's jump on the plane and come onto home shores right now because there's some exciting community use, a bit of a fundraising effort. What I love about it, it all the idea was inspired over a couple of bottles of vino. We'll get into it, but what's Pat Shaw up to, Kate? Pat Shaw is crowdfunding for an Australian women's national racing team uh, that also travels to Europe for a bit of development. 
So it's not the first time this has been thought of, but it is a different time and we've got a lot more fan engagement. So let's see how it goes. But the, the premise, Scott, is that they're going to get all these people to chuck in some money and from that use that to fund the team without any name sponsors per se. Mm. Yeah, and if you go back into the 90s, I-Team Nova was a team that Dave McKenzie and his wife put together and it worked for a little, a very short period of time. No one was really getting paid much, but they were trying to do this crowdfunding thing. And, and I remember this one, it was my generation, but the promotional photo that was in the Herald Sun was Dave McKenzie with the I-Team Nova jersey and Nick's painted on. So it was body oh, art. So he was just wearing budgies wow. on a bike doing the victory salute. There's um, no need in, for you to find that image, Murph. Just quietly, we know that he would have loved every second of that. <laughs> just so quietly. Yeah, body paint, body yeah. paint. Um, and look, it, it, they just didn't get enough funding. And, and the wow. challenge that Pat has, it's admirable and we all want, and, and this is with, with uh, the informed TMX make team folding. You know, there is some rumours that one of the other NRS men's teams is about to fold as well. So there's, it's capitulating, the National Road Series. It's not good at all. Specialised team, women's team finished uh, last year as well. So it's admirable to try and keep something going. But unless you've got a big star that people support already, mm. I just don't see this format working. I just don't. And mm. I, I'm hopeful it does, but I just can't see how it'll work. Well, they've raised a bit of money so far. We'll put the link in the show notes yep. uh, for anybody who wants to jump in and go fund. And I reckon I've just had a brilliant idea, Joel. Go on. I'm thinking you in wheelhouse body paint. Yes, Easy. It, I've got it on under know, this. So. I don't even know what we're raising money for. I just feel as though. Bronco's jersey painted on. Bronco's jersey painted on. Yeah. I'm so glad you asked. Maybe, yeah. maybe we could auction off this. The, uh, this is the statue of David. Sorry, the statue of me, not David. The, um, hold on. Are we auctioning <clears throat> the picture of it or the actual statue? Oh, okay. We need to discuss that off yeah, air. We'll no, can, to, you know what would really <laughs> help? Just quickly. Meeting. It could be a 30th birthday. Cavs watch. Send you to a 30th birthday. Dressed like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Cavs, Cavs watch. watch would get them right over the line. Well, Luke Plapp mm. has donated. Uh, Grace Brown has donated. We've yep. got some of the Aussie pros pitching in, but mm. if we could get Cavs Watch. Grace Grace donated $500. Cavs Watch is worth 500000 yeah. So, yes, yeah, like for like. That'd yeah. help. Yeah. That's well, a big push along. <laughs> I don't think Grace's contract is worth that. So, you know, it's no. not really, I think, generous from her. I'm pleased to see that support. Yeah. Well, look, yeah. Uh, all power to them and good luck to them. As you say, a tough, a tough road, but it's, it's, it's you in never the know interest. until you try. That's, that's yeah. the, Pat's come up with an idea. Yeah. He's hopeful that it'll work. We all are. Nobody doesn't want it to work. That's mm. for sure. Is that your mantra for life? You never know until you try. Never, yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 And yeah. what I love about it's one of the rare exceptions to that, <laughs> sure that rule there, of not sticking with ideas that you come up with when you're two bottles of wine deep. He's had the idea, a couple of vinos, and you know, I'm going to start a team. And he's, he's gone on with it. And that, I think that's fantastic. But let's, let's move on. Let's stay at home. There's two big events coming back in 2023, the Tour Down Under and Cadell Evans's Great Ocean Road Race. But I, I believe there's still some gaps to be filled for the Great Ocean Road Race, Scott? There is. So the, the TDU, of course, that had continued through the pandemic as the Santos Festival of Cycling. So they still had their infrastructure and everything was rolling forward. Now they step right back up to what the race was always beforehand as a world tour event. So that'll be amazing. Everybody's desperate to get back there. So pretty much all of the big named Australians are coming back for that one. So it'll be great to see. But the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race, my understanding is they still don't have an events company to actually put it together. Now the funding's there. The government has definitely wanted it to happen. It's, it will happen. 
but it's going to be tough. Whoever does eventually take it on as an events company, they will be scrambling to make this mm. thing happen. It will happen, mm. but it's going to be really hard for them. And it might, you know, they, they may need a multi-year deal just to make sure that this one gets um, going again because I, I can't imagine they're going to make much money out of this first edition um, back because they'll just have to spend so much more money than they would normally because it's all going to be done in such a short amount of time. Well, that would be comforting if uh, they I, brought it back for a few years. I, I mean, just had an idea. I just had a great idea. The Wheelhouse Corporation oh. has an events wing, an <laughs> events division. We do? Why don't we, we do get now? We do now. As of right now. You know what just happened because you were talking about it. So it's a bit stressful. Your cardboard cutout fell off the bottle of tequila oh, during that spill. So you're feeling, we're all feeling the heat. I'm trying to quite <laughs> daintily reapply my head to said yeah, bottle of tequila. There you go. Let's, uh, let's discuss it. As long it, as that well, cardboard cutout stays here, Joel. Like, uh, yeah. It would really freak me out and, and creep Kate out even more if that went home to your place every day. <laughs> Travel. It's yeah. the elf on a shelf. It, it seems to pop up in different places it does. every week. So. <laughs> it's, um, the good thing about both Cadell's and Till Down Under is that the it's stepped up to Women's World Tour. So mm. that means that we will get the best of the best coming out from the women's side and uh, with Wheelhouse on board as the event partner. Possibilities are limitless. <laughs> Honestly, how lucky they would be. It, uh, indeed. But it's great to see them back. I think a lot of Aussie yep. fans have been kind of hanging out to uh, get our feel back mm. once the seasons are back and underway. The other race that I am the race director or have been the race director for, the, the Jayco Herald Sun Tour, there are initial talks about trying to bring that back for next year as well. Wow. High yeah. caliber events left, right and center. Let's, let's move on to the, the big one that's just around the corner. I, I refer, of course, to Wollongong. Uh, Wollongong World's on the wheelhouse. I keep hitting my microphone. I'm that excited <laughs> that I'm just like Wollongong. Wollongong. It's on Australian shores, of course. We love the gong. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about courses, if you guys don't mind. So, Kate, let's, let's go to you first. What do you make of the ride around Wollongong as it's shaping up? Well, firstly, I think it will be beautifully scenic and I think the imagery that we will get uh, will be just beautiful. It starts at Helensburg and uh, very quickly drops down over what's called the Sea Bridge. Yep. So it's over the co along the coast of um, southern Sydney and it is just beautiful. And then it heads out to Mount Kira, which yep. is a decent climb. And I Climbed think it. Yeah, and you can look at it and say it only climbs 400 vertical metres and think it's not too bad. It, it's bad. It will certainly um, sort some people out. And if you don't manage to find that part of the course difficult, there's a huge running back into a city course which has honestly super sharp uh, incline on that lap as well. So there's quite a lot of challenges. And I think, you know, we talk about goats a lot and squirrels and beavers. We're quite an animal-focused podcast here Mountain with Cyclops. Yeah. <laughs> Mountain goats. I want to say horses for courses. This oh. will not – there you go. Threw that one in. Yeah. This will not suit everyone. Mount Pleasant is the really tough pinch on there. Scott, I reckon from an Aussie perspective, we've got a couple of riders who this will suit beautifully. I'm looking squarely at uh, Grace Brown and Michael Matthews. I'm really curious about the course design process in itself, Joel, because, you, Scott, you know a lot about this. I was involved in the course design process insofar as we li literally, I mean, they should have made a reality show out of this. I jumped in a minibus, minivan, with Mark Renshaw, Gracie Elvin, Anoni Wood, like some of Australia's best road cyclists of, you know, the modern past. And 
we drove around the course kind of ooing and ahhing yeah. at all the hot spots. We all agreed none of us would like to ride it, <laughs> that we thought it would be too tough for our legs. Uh, but, Scott, it's so much more than just saying great climb, bad climb, whatever, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And look, we've just come off the Birmingham Commonwealth Games, which was dead flat pancake course. The time trial course was harder than the actual road circuit that they had. And we can discuss whether it was worthy or not. And, you know, I think the, the racing was, was fantastic, regardless of, of the course. So the riders made that race rather than the course making it for them. But there are lots of things to, to consider. Um, now, even just using the, the bridge, which is a spectacular section of road, that was always going to be in it, regardless of what they were going to do for a course. They wanted to have that bridge, didn't they, uh, in the course mm. itself. And every single Australian or every every single car company in Australia has filmed a TV commercial with their cars on that bridge <laughs> at some stage. Um, that's, that's the fact. But they're not looking at... Um, you know, there's safety element, there's the if infrastructure, simple things about where's the start and finish, yeah. where are we going to have the finish line? Now you might have a beautiful stretch of road down along the beach, but there might not be enough space for infrastructure. And that was a challenge and a consideration around the Geelong World Championships in 2010. The Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race finishes along the beachfront, but for a World Championships, there wasn't enough space there for the infrastructure that they need. So they turned it up another street and took it up into town. It actually finished straight out the front of a sex shop. Oh. Right? <laughs> optics. Yeah. It's all about it's all the about optics. optics, right? We're yeah. going to I, I didn't know that you, and I wasn't prepared for that. Yeah. There, you, there go. you go. You this can head live. to our um, yeah. social media to have a look. There's uh, Merxy's been up all night making some wonderful graphics of the Wollongong course. In that Mount Kira, you speak of uh, 8.7 kilometres, an average 5%, I think maximum 15%. Not a, not a terrible day climbing, to be, to be oh, fair. I'm a flatlander. Yeah. Um, by nature. Uh, <laughs> I like the run into the beach. Yeah. Um, I like to climb hills for the view. Yeah. But that, that'll be tough for a lot of the peloton. That'll be tough. Yeah. And from a, from the Australian men's perspective, you mentioned Michael Matthews, absolutely good chance for it. There was a lot of talk about Caleb Ewan as well. And, and uh, there's a story written recently about how Caleb and Michael could work together to give Australia its best chance. Caleb won't be there. Caleb won't get around that course. It's just going to be far too difficult for him. So it is going to be a tough course. And Michael, from the men's perspective, will be our best chance for sure. Okay. Yeah. We, we were talking a lot about Caleb Geary. Using the tour mm. as a prep for Wollongong. Well, but anyway, I don't know anyway. that the tour, yeah. I don't know that his, it's his season. It'll be a tough challenge. Quickly, yeah. to finish off, if, if you don't mind, uh, let's let's go to Spain on the Wheelhouse podcast. Kate Bates, Scott McGorry, my name's Joel Spreber. A quick Trip to Spain Welt is what, just over a week away at time of recording? It's exciting. It is. It's exciting and it's also exhausting because the, the watch hours of these Grand Tours for Australians is quite offensive hours. Between that and Commonwealth Games, I, I feel as though the Aussie cycling fans are going to need a big old sleep. They'll be pretty pumped for all and gold. Southern Hemisphere discrimination. Exactly. Yeah, um, We've got a really good chance, I think, with Joe Hindley, winner of the Giro. Great Aussie chance. Um, but Remco... Evanapool is the big name that everybody's talking about. I tend to think, maybe a bit controversial, but Scott, I don't know. I don't think he's everything that he's hyped up to be. And I don't think he can handle the pressure of three weeks. And I don't mean the physical pressure. I mean the mental and emotional pressure. Well, we'll see, won't yeah. we? <laughs> he did have a, by his form or by his perhaps expectations, a poor Tour of Italy. But that was his first big race back from breaking his leg the previous year, 18 months ago, uh, uh, prior to that. So 
now that he has that in his legs, clearly at San Sebastian, um, this is the, the footage that we're seeing at the moment is from San Sebastian, which he, he went solo and won that. He's amazing in these events. In these one-day races and time trials, he's, he's seriously incredible. He's now to be tested over three weeks, and this will be the first time that he's in really good form and slightly more mature age than he was when he first burst onto the scene. So this is a big test. This is a really big test. Mature age. I love the way we describe athletes. I mm. think we would definitely be described this cohort as mature age <laughs> if mm. we were to veteran age. Veteran age. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for calling me an athlete, by the way. I, I've been working it's hard no for problem. That. Uh, but th- I think the big disappointment, Joel, is that uh, Primoz. Yeah. Froggy. They haven't finished sticking taping him back together no. just yet. Well, he won three on the trot, and now yeah. he looks like he won't be there. He's the so. Humpty Dumpty. Of, of world cycling. It's it's shame that he's not there. We were talking before about the un-Australian Australian team bike exchange looking to build on some form from the tour as well. Uh, any optimism there or is sentiment getting in the way of facts for me, if, thinking that they might do something in Spain or what do you reckon? Yeah, look, I think that they might have some stage opportunities and, you know, if their history proves anything, it's that they're pretty tenacious and yep. pull some big results out. Um, mm. But I'm not sure I'd have... Too many more hopes than that. Um, I don't disagree with you. Just on Roglic, it's like his previous ski jumping career. It's just ups and downs, <laughs> full of ups and downs. <laughs> but the, I love that you waited to get that gag in, but anyway. <laughs> the, uh, since yesterday. But, you know, the great in. irony is that he left ski jumping because he was injured too often. Yeah, yeah. Came to cycling. Welcome to cycling. All the time. Yeah. And road rash, I think, is a bit harder than, than um, snow rash. Mm. But... <laughs> If, if you look at Bike Exchange, Jayco, for for that race, Yates may be going for an overall classification more than likely. However, if you had um, Yates, a Brit, a Brit, racing for Bike Exchange, racing for a podium place versus Hindley, um, Ben O'Connor or Jack Haig, I know which ones that the Australians will support. Yeah, and it'll be the Aussies that are riding for a non-Australian yeah, registered right. team. Of so, yeah. and that's the challenge with cycling. It goes back to you know that team in particular, Bike Exchange, and it's uh, l- losing its Australian identity. You just need an Australian that's going to be winning, and there's three that are potential podiums at the Vuelta that don't ride for that team. Mm. One of them did ride for the team and then left, which also says a lot. Go, well, Joe, hope, Jack, and Ben. Well, let's hope none of them hit the speed bump that they're going to put in 300 metres. <laughs> Roglic will hit that. And also the Wollongong yeah. speed bump, of yeah. course, yeah. Roglic will hit it even if he's not there. He'll <laughs> yeah. find a way. This is the Wheelhouse podcast. It's been a lot of fun. We'll get into it a little bit more next week. But Scott McGrory, uh, thank you so much. No worries. Thank you, guys. Pleasure. Kate Bates, I'm still not 100% convinced you're not an uh, AI bot, but... I'm, I'm actually here. I'll, if I spill my coffee, will that convince you? Uh, yeah. Well, Sorry, Merxy, I promise I won't spill the coffee. Yeah, that'll, that'll end everything. <laughs> uh, this is the Wheelhouse Podcast, easily digestible, mostly factual. You can have a look on our socials for everything we've spoken about today and lots of fun hosting during the week as well. We'll be back to do it all again next week. Thank you for coming along for the ride. Adios.